So what I want to do today is last week I talked to you about evangelism. Today I want to talk to you about discipleship. And in sharing with you about discipleship, if you'll go ahead and go to the next slide for me, uh, Mary Jo. Discipleship is not just a class. I know, how many of you remember the days when discipleship on Sunday nights or Sunday afternoons was called um, training union? Raise your hand. You a bunch of old folk. Yeah, years ago, it was called Training Union, where we got together and we, we, we worked on things together in small class settings so that we could learn how to actually, it was where many teachers, future teachers were taught. Because in those classes, oftentimes they were given, you were given a role to play in the class where you were in the group and you had a part to play in that you had to read or explain something. So it gave you an opportunity to learn how to become a teacher. What I want to share with you today is discipleship today. We've gone from training union to what we call discipleship. But yet I want you to understand discipleship is not just a class. Now, I don't want Carlene, where is she? oh good, she's out today. She's in the children's church. She won't be throwing stones at me saying, what are you doing? You know, hold on. Uh, discipleship may not just be a class, but we're going to get to that importance of that class. So just hang in there. All right, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 23 through uh, 25 today. And uh, we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us here in these verses. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and stand as I read the Word together. If you will, honor the reading of the Word of the Lord by standing. And He said unto them all, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for My sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Father, we ask that as we come to your word today, as we come to reading and now hearing and preaching of the message, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty and freedom in this place. I pray that, Father, that you would take that which you have impressed upon my heart this week. And give me the ability to be able to share it in such a way that people would be able to, to uh, receive it, understand it, and run with it. For Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is a relationship. That doesn't mean that there are not some things that can be learned perhaps in small groups or small fellowship settings of discipling one with another, all right? But they are only the beginning points. The classes that we offer are not the all in all of discipleship. If you come and sit through one of these classes, you will be a disciple. No, it will help you to become the disciple that God's called you to be. So what I want you to hear is discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is a relationship. I want you to imagine with me today in one hand. Everybody hold up your right hand. I want to see how many of you know where your right hand is. Oh, praise the Lord you do. All right. I want you to grip with your right hand. Just hold that and you can put it down because your arms are going to get tired. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that in that grip, 
In your right hand, you are holding on to everything that you thought is so important in this world. Um, uh, I'm talking about the things that you have made so important in your life, even though we know that many of them do not honor God. Now, there's a, several ways that I could explain this, but let me just give you a, a simple frame uh, that, that Chuck Swindoll shared, and I like it. Chuck Swindoll put it in terms of four target areas, and these are those. Possessions, power, popularity, and pleasure. In this hand, we're hanging on to all the things of the world that we think are so important that we must have in our life. Okay, so you're hanging on to those areas of your, your life. I want everybody to think about that. Now, I want everybody to lift up your left hand. I want to make sure you know where that is, okay? Now, I want you to do the same thing. Close your fist. Now, here, what I want you to put in that hand is all of the things that you get. You can put your hands down, so I don't want you to get tired. All right, all of the things that we get when we know Jesus Christ and we follow Him, such as... Let me just give you a few of them so that you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, uh, the fact that we get to have peace through the, uh, the, that passes understanding, forgiveness, relationship with the Father, the abundant life that Jesus offers us, not when we get to heaven, but as we live in this life, and then to know that when we get to the end of this life, we get what's called eternal life. We get to spend the rest of it with Him. We're also holding on to such things as joy, blessing, help in times of need. And I could go on and on. I found that, that, that I could not hold all of the things in my left hand that God offers us as followers of Jesus Christ. I can, I can hold in my right hand the things that the world offers us that we really don't need. Now, imagine in one hand all the things that you think are important but not pleasing God. And in the other hand, all of the blessings that come from knowing Jesus and following Christ as a disciple. Such is the way that Jesus Christ puts the decision in the text in which we just read. I want you to take your eyes back to the very verse, and you see that it's underlined in my phrase there, but I want you to go back to verse 23, and I want you to see, and he said to them all. Jesus is making an all-inclusive statement here. He is talking to all that are listening that day, as described in our text. To all that are uh, listening to Jesus that day, He is offering them a choice. And for all of you that are listening to me today, Jesus is offering you a choice today. For all, Jesus says that the, the, the message, the hope of the gospel is for all who will receive so Jesus is saying that all of us have an opportunity to, to receive and have to make a decision today. All right, He's asking them to deny themselves and follow after Him. Or, here's the second part of that choice, not deny themselves. You can too, you can deny your, yourself or you can not 
deny yourself. That is the options, that is the choices that Jesus made to them in this text, the same choice that He's making to each one of us today. We can either choose to or not to deny ourselves of the things of this world. This is not something that we should take lightly. This is an important matter for us to understand what discipleship is truly all about. Now, I want to share with you six phrases this morning. Just six simple phrases that I believe will help us to understand and put into perspective what discipleship truly is. Remember, discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is an individual invitation. Now, as we go to the first thing that he says here in verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone hears, if anyone who is listening, if all of those that are listening, if any one of them makes a decision, Jesus offers a universal invitation. Anyone is invited. But here's the thing. Everyone must make a choice to either accept the terms of discipleship, which is simply, as Jesus puts it, come, follow me. All right? I started talking about this in my Sunday school class this morning, told them that, that I would try to flesh it out this morning. It's been something that we've been working on for a couple of weeks in our Sunday school class and just something that God just laid on my heart that we need to talk about here. What is discipleship? Jesus said, come follow me. This is not just simply a ticket to heaven. It is an invitation to follow after Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, folks, listen to me. I'm not talking about radical Christianity. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. How many of us remember seeing someone who just got saved and got real excited and they were telling everybody about what Jesus has done for them and they were so excited. I mean, they were like they were walking around on cloud nine. And then we invited them to church and what happened? We put out their fire. Because we said, hey, wait a minute, that radical behavior is upsetting the apple cart of our, of our you know, lazy, apathetic, um, you know, um, go with the flow attitude. So, you, you know, please calm it down a little bit. Okay? We have a tendency of causing those that, that think that they're being radical, we the church say that anybody that's excited for Jesus, anybody that's jumping up and doing for Jesus, they're radical. Well, listen, the Apostle Paul writes here in chapter 12 of Romans, in verse 1, it's not radical at all. It is exactly everyday Christianity. He uses the phrase, it is the reasonable service. Now listen, I, I did a little research to look at what that really means. And what that means is that's the very least that you can do. I wish Joy Osborne was here today because I used that statement with Joy one day. And I said, well, that's the least I can do. She said, I'm glad to see that you're doing the least you can do. 
So that's our joke. Every time she calls me to ask me something, it's, can you do the least you can do and do this? All right. So the reality is it's the least we should be doing as Christians. Paul says that it shouldn't be considered radical to behave that way. It should be considered the reasonable act of every believer. But unfortunately, that's not the way we're living. It's an individual invitation to living for Christ the way that he has set it up. You see, in Jesus' world, some Jewish boys who excelled in school at the age of 15 years old, would seek out a rabbi to continue their education. For they thought, well, I want to go to become a rabbi, so I have to find somebody that's going to train me, somebody that's going to teach me so that I can become a rabbi. So they would look around for a rabbi in which they could cling to, a rabbi in which they could, could, could talk into taking them as an apprentice, as a follower as someone who is a, a follower of that rabbi, and so they would, they would beg that rabbi by showing him how much of the Torah they had already remembered, and by their memorization skills and their service skills and their ability to do, and in hopes that, in hopes that one day they might hear from the rabbi's voice, come follow me. In other words, what that was, was an interception to be able to be a student of that rabbi. And they longed for that. Because that meant that now they had someone that they could mentor their life after. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying to each and every one of us that are his children, come follow me. It's not that we're looking to follow Jesus, it's that Jesus is looking to call us out and to say, come follow me. Jesus seeks us. He's inviting us to be his disciple, his follower. You and I have received an individual call from God to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus. The choice in which we have to make is the same choice in which they have to make. To deny self and follow Jesus or not to deny self and not follow Jesus. The second phrase that I want to give you this morning, first an individual invitation, the second is the drastic devotion. Folks, we need to have a drastic devotion. Remember, this is not some uh, form of radical Christianity. This is how that we are to regularly live out the Christian life every day. In this text, Jesus goes on and gives three distinct commands about following Him when He said, first, deny self. Then He said, take up your cross. And then He said, follow me. Now, when you and I look at that, we have been trained and taught that these are three individual steps in which we are to do. They are three individual things, and, and we can say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to take the first one, but I'm not going to ever get to the second or third. Listen, I want you to understand, Jesus is not separating these things. They're synonymous with one thing, being Christ-like. So if we want to become Christ-like, we can't say that I'm going to pick one, two, or three, or one and three, or two and three, or one and two. No, we have to do them all. 
And we have to do them all simultaneously. Because Jesus is not saying these are three separate entities, but they are all one synonymous with being Christ-like. So, instead of a threefold command, they are synonymous with the radical idea of someone who is being Christ-like. Jesus simply is saying we must have a drastic devotion in following Jesus. Jesus set the example for drastic devotion when Jesus denied himself when he left heaven and he left the glories of heaven behind and he took upon himself the human form and flesh. But not only did Jesus deny himself, but Jesus also did something else. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane that night before he was going to the cross? You remember what he prayed? Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, please do. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Now, Jesus not only denied himself, but he was willing to take up the cross. He was willing to take up the cross. He said, Lord, if it's not your will that I I have another way of redemption, then I'm willing to take up the cross. So we know that Jesus did that. On another occasion, Jesus told his disciples, I have not come to be served, but I've come to serve. So we see that Jesus in all of these ways denies himself took on human flesh, gave up the glory of heaven. He he didn't come to be served. He came to follow the Father. He came to do what was expected of Him. And then we know that He took up the cross. These are commands that leave us with the basic notion that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To follow Him with drastic devotion. Paul said, as it is recorded in in, in Romans 8.29... That we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So that it is the root of all that Jesus is saying here as he is recorded here in verse 23. And he said unto them, if any man wants to be like me, if anybody wants to be like Christ, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. My friends, we cannot be Christ-like without doing these things. Listen to the story of devotion I read. Back in the early 60s, the, the Gurkhas were a military group of Nepal. In 1964, a war between Indonesia and Malaysia broke out. And the Gurkhas were approached by the Brits to jump from a transport plane uh, into uh, Indonesia and to fight against them. At first, the Gurkhas rejected the idea. But the next day, they sought the British out and said, we're willing to do it under a few conditions. What are your conditions? They gave them three. One, that we jump into a soft ground. Two, that you fly slow over the jump zone. Three, 
that you fly no higher than 100 feet off the, the ground. The British officer looked at him and said, well, the first two we can do easily. The third one's a problem. See, we, we always look for a soft landing for you. We always fly slow over the drop zone, but we cannot fly 100 feet off the ground. The parachute will never open. The Gherkins looked at him and said, nobody said anything about parachutes. We'll drop anywhere, anytime, anyhow. We got it. That's devotion. I mean, the thing is that we look at it from the perspective of, we don't know what we got. Jesus is saying, come follow me and I'll give you everything you need. It says in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and then seek after the things of the world. And then we'll receive all the things of God. We're going to get everything we need. You see, the reality is we need total devotion. The obedience in every area. This is following him in anything, anywhere, and any time. Does that describe your devotion to Jesus? Would you be described as a follower, a disciple of Jesus based upon that definition? Let me give you the third term. A definitive direction. We all seem to be wanting to know that we're heading in the right direction. It seems to be something that's innate in us that we need to know that we're heading in the right direction. I mean, we want to know that if we go on a trip, we're going in the right direction. We want to know that, that our life is moving in the right direction. Jesus gives us a definitive direction. Come, follow me. There's a definitive direction in what he says. When we follow him, we are going in the right direction. We are following a person and not a philosophy. And where did he ultimately, this person lead to? We just talked about it, to the cross. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that we can't follow a philosophy of life because philosophies will take us all over the place. We have to put, take and follow a, the, the person of Christ. Jesus came for one purpose, and that was to die on the cross. Now listen to me, for those of you that are shaking in your boots. <laughs> Being a disciple of Jesus does not automatically mean you must die physically. No, that's not what it means. But it does mean that we must be willing to. We must be willing to. We must be willing to take up our cross and follow Him. Following Jesus leads us to a definitive direction, which is to die to self. And if called upon at some time, to even die physically for Him. But I can guarantee you this, that if you're not willing to die to self, you will never be willing to die for him physically. That's the direction that we must go. A willingness to deny the things of our flesh, ourselves, before we'll ever be willing to follow Jesus to the cross. The fourth statement, 
daily decision. We have to have an individual uh, call, no doubt. We have to have a drastic um, uh, devotion. We've got to have a definitive direction to follow Jesus, but we need to understand something. It must become daily devotion. Now, I'm not saying that you need to have a, 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 a 30-day month daily devotional book. That's not what I'm saying. Get one. They're, they're great. But what I'm saying is that you must have a daily devotion to Christ. Please pay attention to me here because I believe this is where many of us as Christians go over I. It's where our life takes a tragic turn. Where we've missed an important step in this area of discipling and discipleship. Jesus tells us and tells them this is not a one-time action but something that must be done every day. Look at what he says in verse 23. And take up your cross daily and follow me. The reality is that Jesus understands that we come to Him first and foremost on that day in which we come to Him for salvation. And that's a great turning point in our life. It's a great time in our life when we, we, we get our sin life settled and we get before the Lord and we confess that we can't get to heaven on our own, that we need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need His help to, to, to be able to be a pleasing sacrifice before God. But listen, if that were all that it was and all that is needed from us, at that very moment when that happened, poof, you would go to heaven. But I haven't had any poofs lately. (laughs) Even when they said amen, it didn't go poof. They were right there. (laughs) Then you know what? I had to do something with them next. Give them something to work with so that they could become followers of Christ. Because they didn't just go to heaven. So I need to, we need to teach them how to live for Christ every day. The scripture talks about the need for us to, to, to confess our sins every day. That we need to pray every day. We need to ask for our daily bread. The whole idea of living for Christ is about everyday living. Yes, we determine once and for all to follow Jesus, but it has to become a daily decision to die to self and seek His kingdom. And a daily decision to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Somebody said... The problem with living sacrifices, remember that verse I read, Romans 12, 1, that our life is to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing unto God. Someone has said, the problem with a living sacrifice is this. It's too easy for a living sacrifice to get up off the altar and go do their own thing. I'm afraid that many of us have gotten off the altar. And we're doing our own thing, our own way. And we're telling God, you need to be pleased with the way that I'm living because this is all you get. Can I tell you very honestly, God's not pleased 
at all. And if that's all that he gets, he isn't getting anything. See, we need to sacrifice to the point that every day we come and say, Lord, it's not about me, it's all about you. My life doesn't matter unless my life is lived through you. I have to deny myself every day. Listen, I'm not here to tell you that it's easy. I'm here to tell you that it's the hardest thing that any Christian will ever do. Every day. Every day it's a struggle. Every day I have to make a decision to deny myself. I have to make a decision to pick up my cross. I have to be willing every day to sacrifice what I want for what He wants. Every day I have to make a decision to follow Him. Every day I have to decide, today I follow Jesus. Is your devotion a once and done? Or is your devotion a daily devotion every day? I choose to follow Jesus. Number five, competing conclusion. Now we're going to move to the next two verses. Verses 24 and 25, there's a competing conclusion that is given. In verses 24 and 25, gives us an irony, if you would. Notice the completing, competing conclusion that we read in these two verses. Let me go back and read them to you again. For whosoever shall save their life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall save it. For what does a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Do you hear what's going on? It's a competing conclusion. There's there's only one conclusion that should be made, but there's two conclusions that are made. Remember the two hands? In this hand, we're holding on to all the things of the world, even the things that don't please God. And we're saying, that's the life I want to live. And then over here in this hand, we have all the blessings of God as a follower of Christ if we will only let go of the things of this world. Listen, my friends. If we're trying to fill both hands back with the things of this world and the things of God, we have nothing left to crawl with. Nothing. Can't do it. We must let go of one. And now listen to what he says. That's why we look at it when he says, when you submit to God, well, let me back up. When you serve self, you end up losing everything. Let me just say that again. When we serve the things of this world, we lose everything. He says, he who holds on to his life and hopes that he'll keep it at the end of his life loses it. Remember the parable that Jesus taught about the the rich man who uh, planted a bunch of fields and God blessed him and his harvest came in and his workers came in and said, Lord, um, we're trying to reap the harvest here, but the barns are full, the silos are full, everything is full. We don't know what to do with all the excess. And the, the man had an opportunity, a choice right there. He could have blessed his neighbors, his family, his community, his His city. Or he can bless himself. Everybody remember what happened? He said to his servants, tear down those old barns, build bigger ones, newer ones, so I can say to my soul, 
You have plenty. Now live life. Enjoy it. Bless it. Enjoy. Then you know what Jesus said. You fool. He that thought he could hold on to what he had is about to lose it. For this night your life is required of you and all that you thought you had a hold of somebody else is going to enjoy. That's the way life is. But Jesus goes on to say, not only if we try to hold on to the things that we think are important, but yet are not important, we're going to lose them in the end. But Jesus turns it around and says something even greater than that. You that give up, you that deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. You that that lose everything in this world will gain everything in the world to come. When you submit to God, you end up gaining what you thought you had given up. You and I deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and we follow Jesus, which is synonymous to to being a disciple. We must do them all. We can't pick and choose. We must choose either I do it all or I don't do it at all. It's that simple. The great missionary, and we've all heard his quote, Jim Elliott, who'd lost his life, said this, He is a fool who gives what he, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Douglas Souther Hall Freeman The Pulitzer Prize winning biographer wrote a biography of Robert E. Lee. He tells a couple of interesting stories and I wanted to share them with you this morning. First of all, he tells a story uh, of Robert E. Lee's decision before he went to war. Robert E. Lee was from the north and as being a northerner, he had slaves. In Virginia, Robert E. Lee had a big plantation where he employed many slaves. But before going to war, Robert E. Lee was said to have given his slaves freedom. Because what he wanted it to be known was that what he was fighting for in that war was not for slavery, but for Virginia. So he gave up all of his slaves before he ever led the army. The other story that I found interesting was a story that he told about a young mother in northern Virginia. Came up to Robert E. Lee one day and asked Robert E. Lee if he would just speak a blessing over her little child. She had brought her little infant son to Robert E. Lee and said, would you just bless him? Robert E. Lee looked at the mother and said these words. Teach him to deny himself. That is all. There's some wisdom there in those words. Teach our children to deny themselves. And that is all. Once they deny themselves, they will recognize that Who needs to be first? Never them, always him. You see, it's so important that we recognize 
the competing conclusion that God gives us. The third or the, the sixth one, the last one, critical question. There's certainly a critical question that needs to be asked today. Jesus asked it in the form of uh, what we call a rhetorical question. Look at verse 25. In verse 25 he said, For what, does it, for what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and lose himself or is cast away? Now, the thing with a rhetorical question is this. We, we have to answer the, 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 the question for ourselves. Notice verse 26 does not come back and give us the answer. It's a rhetorical question. Meaning, there's a question that you already know the answer to, but all I need to do is get you to acknowledge that you already know the answer. Because it's in the choice. It's in the, the previous one, that competing choice. So, what Jesus says here is consider for yourself... Does it make sense to you to gain all of this world and yet forfeit yourselves? Now, if we were here last week, what that means, would it do you well to gain the whole world and yet go to hell? Eternally separated from God? Does it make sense to you to follow the world for the time that appears simply as the scripture says, like a vapor and then your life is gone? And yet, you have rejected Christ for all of eternity. Listen to the words of James in James chapter 4 and verse 14. Wherefore, as you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. James reminds us that, that life here is short no matter how long you get to live. It's short compared to eternity. Why would you risk it all for something so fleeting, something so temporal, something that, that will not hold on? Why are we holding so tightly to our right hand when all we need is what God is offering in our left hand? It's time for us to let go and hold on. As a matter of fact, it's time for us to say, you know what, I'm going to start grasping all of what God has with both hands instead of just one hand. It's time that I recognize the things of this world will not last. But the things of Christ will last forever. We're reminded of that. Reminded that we need to let go and grab on. Christ. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 through 21. Lay up not for yourself treasures upon this earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Things of this world are temporal. You think you can hang on to them, but my friends, they're like sand sifting through your fingers. They're just slowly dissipating. 
But that which we have in Christ is forever. It will not go anywhere. We all must answer the critical question. Just like Douglas McMillan had to answer the, the question. Douglas McMillan was a great evangelist in England and he died in 1991. He was led to faith in Christ by a man by the name of David Patterson. David explained to Douglas the gospel. A gospel that he had already heard many, many times before. Kind of like what we talked about in Sunday school. We hear the gospel. We don't become followers until after we have responded and then we hear the call. Douglas had, had resisted the gospel to the point that one day the Spirit of God finally moved in his life. And he said, as speaking to uh, David, Are you telling me that it is that easy? That all I have to do is embrace Christ and, and receive Him because of His work that He has done for me on the cross? And David simply said to him, Yes, Douglas, it's that simple, that true. And he said, but wait a minute. If that's the case, I'm going to have to change the way that I live, aren't I? I can't go on living the way that I've been living and be a Christian, can I? And David said, yes, that is true, Douglas. There must be a change. And David wrote that for the next 10 minutes, there was complete silence. David didn't say a word. Douglas didn't say a word. Later, he said that it seemed as though it was an eternity or an hour, as we oftentimes consider Sunday morning, an eternity. And then the silence was broken. And Douglas cried out, I'll take Christ. I'll take Christ. So what about you? Which hand is more important? The things of this world? Or all the blessings that we cannot hold in one hand that come from being a follower of Jesus Christ? Let me close with this. Remember, discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is a relationship. It is a call to follow Jesus, to become like Him, a disciple. To be made into His image. Be like the first followers who were called Christians. As a derogatory term which meant you are little Christ. You've changed so much that we don't recognize who you are anymore. All we see is Christ. Oh, that it would be for us today to live up to the name that we claim. It doesn't mean that there are not some things that you need to learn in a classroom. 
Does not mean that you don't need to come back tonight because you have decided to follow Jesus. It means absolutely that you need to come back and you need to be students of the Word. You need to be students of other followers. You need to be those who will say, I am here to learn right alongside with you so that I can be all of Christ that I can be. And if I get ahead of you a little bit, then I will help you come along with me. If you get ahead of me, I want to hold on to your coattails so that I can get to where you're going. That's a disciple maker. But you can't be a disciple maker until you first begin to be a disciple follower of Jesus. So what about you? Would you call yourself a disciple today? In the true biblical sense. Not in what we Southern Baptists and Christians of modern day culture have said, if you came to a class, you're a disciple. No. Are you denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following Jesus to where He leads? Or will you continue to hang on to the things in this hand and say, I'll take my chances. I'll hang on to the fleeting things of this world in hopes that they'll just last long enough. Each of us needs to make a decision today. Do you choose to deny self, take up your cross and follow Jesus or do you choose not to follow Christ? Now, each of us is making a decision today. Hear me. As you can sit there and say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just not going to, I'm not sure. I'm just not going to know. But listen, let me tell you something. Indecision is a decision. It is a decision to follow after the things of this world instead of after the things of God. We must make a conscious decision. Some will tell Jesus that they choose Him and they'll follow Him and they'll start today. Others will choose the things of this world because they will say, I'm not ready. I have too much. I can't lose what I have. I must hang on to it. Don't be fooled. Indecision is a decision. It's just not one that's going to end well for any of us. I've asked the sound room to play today just as I am. Or no, surrender all, sorry. Surrender all. Surrender all. Because this is what we need to do today. We either need to hang on to all that the world has to offer or we have to surrender all the world has to offer and hold on to all that Christ gives to us. What decision will you make today? Which hand will you choose? Choose wisely, for eternity weighs in the balance. Let's stand together as the music begins to play.